Chapter Thirteen, Part One of the Albert Gate Mystery by Lewis Tracy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter Thirteen, Part One: The Release. Now who talks first? Brett cried once the door was fairly closed behind them. I do. Burst forth Fairholme. My story will not take long to tell, and if I do not get it off my chest I shall simply explode. We must not have any more tragedies, said Brett, so proceed. Well, thanks to your foresight, I found the two servants and your ex-policeman waiting for me on the platform at Charing Cross. As I only carried a handbag, I had no trouble with the customs, and we walked straight out of the station. In less than five minutes we were standing outside the building which contained the invalid lady's flat. Your agent told me that, so far as he knew, there were no other persons in the place except the tenant and her two servants, an elderly French or Italian married couple. Our collective wits could not devise a plausible pretext for gaining access to the lady, so I determined to settle the business in the brutal British fashion. We marched quietly up the stairs to the second story, and your assistant pointed out the right door. There were only two flats on that landing, and the other one was apparently empty. Your man had made a somewhat important discovery since he wrote to you. This empty flat had been taken by the agent who acted for the parties opposite, and although the place was not tenanted, the landlord was, of course, satisfied as the rent had been paid in advance. This seemed to indicate that the place was left vacant simply to prevent the others from being overlooked. Brett marked this appreciation of Fairholme's sagacity by a nod, and the Earl continued. I rang the bell and promptly put my ear to the keyhole. It seemed to me that a couple of doors were hastily closed, and then someone slowly approached. The outer door was opened and a man's head appeared. I could only see his face and a portion of his left shoulder, because the chain was on the door, and the opening was not more than eight or ten inches. Speaking in broken English, he said, "'What you want?' His accent showed that he was a Frenchman. I answered in my best French. I wish to see Madame, your mistress, at once. It is impossible, he said in the same language, and simultaneously he tried to shut the door in my face. I shoved my foot against the jam and prevented him. At the same instant my own servant and I, as if there was to be trouble I thought it best to keep the others out of it, applied our utmost force to the door and succeeded in snapping the chain. It might have been a tough job, as you know that to force a way through anything that yields slightly and yet holds fast is much more difficult than to smash a lock or a couple of bolts. Luckily the flats were jerry-built, so the chain broke and so suddenly that the Frenchman was pitched violently backwards. We nearly fell after him. The ex-policeman was a splendid chap. His first idea was to jump towards the switch of the electric lights and turn on every lamp in the place. I shouted, "'Talbot, are you here? It is I, Fairholme!' I got no answer, but a woman darted out of a room which proved to be the kitchen, screaming something which I could not catch, and handed a revolver to the Frenchman, who was just struggling to his feet. 
that was where my prize-fighting butler came in useful before you could say wink he gave the man an uppercut that settled him effectually for the next minute almost with the same movement he caught the woman a slap over the ear that upset her nerves considerably she had a revolver in her hand too it fell to the floor and smith your servant seized both weapons the ex-policeman called out i do not think we are making any mistake sir they would not act after this manner if they were on the square i must say it seemed to me that so far it was we who had been acting in an extraordinary way but there was no time to discuss the ethics of the case then whilst my butler and smith took care of the couple your assistant and i hastily examined three rooms they were empty save for a small quantity of furniture the fourth door resisted our efforts so of course we burst it open and the first thing that met our eyes was poor old jack lying on his back on the bed and glaring at us in a way that made me think at first he was mad i should think so interrupted talbot i would like to see your face if you were trussed up as i was not able to speak a word and a fiendish row going on in the passage outside you were gagged questioned brett and your wrists and ankles were secured to the four corners of the bed your limbs being distended in the form of an axe fairholm glanced round admiringly of course he cried delightedly i knew you would guess it that is the pleasant way these turks have of securing their prisoners it is an awfully uncomfortable one said talbot my joints are still stiff at the mere recollection of it i have lain in that way mr brett for countless hours occasionally the brutes would allow me to change my posture but the moment any one came to the door i was strapped up in an instant and a gag slipped into my mouth what used to make me so furious was the knowledge that if only i got the chance of a second i could have broken that frenchman's neck and escaped but he and his wife always took such precautions that i never had the liberty to do more than reach with some difficulty the food that they gave me however i must not interrupt i really have not much more to say went on fairholm you may be sure it did not take me long to release talbot and what do you think his first words were when he slowly sat up in bed and tried if his legs would bend i cannot guess said brett he said have they got the diamonds i answered yes but it was impossible he said they could not have mastered all those policemen but they did i replied and then and there before he would budge an inch he made me tell him the whole story just as i had ended we heard a scuffle in the passage we went out though jack was hardly able to walk at first it was smith wrestling with the woman who was a regular wild cat and who would even then have done us any mischief in her power there was nothing for it but to tie her hands behind her back and then fasten her securely in a chair after this was done we took counsel as to our next movements wait a little said brett how many rooms were there in the flat you have accounted for four i forgot said fairholm the place had six rooms 
the small apartment in which jack was confined was a sort of dressing-room and the bedroom beyond looked out into the well of the block of flats they had carefully nailed the blind of this dressing-room so that not even a chance puff of wind could blow it aside and reveal its secret to any one in the flats on the opposite story or higher the remaining room was empty your friend the policeman subsequently searched the place from top to toe but he found nothing the only document of any importance was an address on a card which he discovered in the frenchman's pocket ah said brett what was that address here it is the earl produced a small piece of pasteboard on which was scribbled monsieur jean beaujolais chez monsieur henri de lille quatorze ans rue bonnery paris that is important said the barrister why did you not wire it to me last night i had a reason said the earl eagerly but that comes in with jack's part of the story and he turned towards talbot who thus summoned to the stage began to explain matters i understand mr brett he said that you are accurately acquainted with all that transpired until the moment when i entered the albert gate mansion on that remarkable night that is so said brett well when inspector sharp met me at the door on my arrival he told me that his excellency mehmet ali with three strange gentlemen and the junior members of the commission awaited me in the dining-room i went in and was surprised to find the three visitors for during the preceding month not a single stranger had entered the house save a member of the government and one or two important officials of the foreign office who came with me out of sheer curiosity to see the collection of remarkable diamonds the stranger bowed politely when i was introduced two of them spoke neither french nor english but the third man spoke french fluently he had by the way a somewhat peculiar accent different from that to which i was accustomed in the turks it was softer more sibilant and impressed me as that of a man who was accustomed to speak italian he was a good-looking chap about my height and build and were it not for his brown skin one could not have regarded him as a turk one side of his face was deeply scarred with a sword-cut but if anything this did not detract from his appearance and it gave a manly aspect to an otherwise effeminate face brett could not help smiling involuntarily are you sure it was a sword-cut it certainly looked like one and his skin was very brown oh quite indeed it was a shade deeper than that of most turks i have seen very many of them although dark-featured they are often pallid enough in reality and their deep-hued complexion is due more to their black hair and eyebrows than to the mere colour of the skin brett smiled again i think he said i will show you the same gentleman in a somewhat different aspect but proceed the explanation given to me by mehmet ali was both extraordinary and disconcerting especially at such a late hour he told me that the three gentlemen to whom i had been introduced i am sorry by the way that i cannot remember their names as they were all mohammeds or rasuls or ibrahims and the dramatic events of the night subsequently drove them from my mind 
had been sent post-haste from constantinople on a special mission they had only reached london that night and they bore with them a special mandate signed by the sultan himself directing mehmet ali to hand over the diamonds to their charge and to at once return with his assistance to yildiz kiosk there could be no questioning the authenticity of the sultan's instructions the document was in his own handwriting was endorsed with his private seal and conveyed other distinguishing marks which rendered his excellency assured on that important point he told me that he was compelled to obey implicitly and were it possible he would have started from london that night this however was out of the question but he had not lost a moment in sending for me and acquainting me with his majesty's wishes you will readily perceive that the affair placed me in an awkward predicament i was so to speak representing the british government in the matter and the foreign office had pledged itself through our ambassador at constantinople to undertake all precautions for safeguarding the diamonds with which you are acquainted it seemed to me that notwithstanding the urgency of the sultan's order i should not be doing my duty to permit the transfer to be made in such an irregular manner so i said quite plainly that the matter could not be settled that night they must all wait until the morning when i would consult my department and mehmet ali together with his aides could leave for constantinople by the evening train after my superiors had been acquainted with the sultan's wishes turks are difficult people to understand it seemed to me that my decision gave some satisfaction to mehmet ali who was undoubtedly very much upset by the queer manner in which he had been deposed from his important trust at once an animated discussion took place in french interrupted brett no in turkish did the gentleman with the sabre cut on his face take any part therein not in the least he sat and smoked cigarettes in the most unconscious manner possible leaving his two associates to carry on the conversation as the barrister appeared to have no further question to ask at the moment talbot continued several times mehmet ali appealed to me to change my mind and formally ratify the transfer at once i was quite firm in my refusal and did not hesitate to describe the sultan's demands as ridiculous i was rendered more determined if anything in this attitude by a growing certainty in my mind that his excellency himself approved of my attitude ultimately it seems they hit upon a compromise the whole party would remain together all night in a sort of dual control and then the charge of guardianship would take place next day in accordance with my views as to what was right and proper i must admit i was intensely relieved when the decision was arrived at looking back now over the events of the night i can perceive that from that moment the gang who effected the murders and the robbery had me in their power for they had completely succeeded in allaying my suspicions and i can only plead in extenuation of my short-sightedness that mehmet ali himself and the other gentlemen with whom i had been acquainted during the past month were willing accessories in the arrangement i do not see said brett that you have the slightest cause to reproach yourself 
you acted quite properly throughout and i am sure that when all the facts are known your status at the foreign office will be improved rather than diminished by this incident the other man's face flushed with pleasure as he heard these words thank you he replied simply i certainly took every precaution that suggested itself to me subsequently i was the victim of circumstances the french-speaking turk as i have told you took no part whatever in the negotiations and when he became aware of the modus operandi determined upon by the way said brett how did he become aware of it oh mehmet ali told him in french did that strike you as curious most certainly it did but the scoundrel explained it afterwards by telling me that although a turkish subject he had lived in algiers and france since he was a child and had quite forgotten his mother tongue but he was employed in a confidential position in the turkish embassy at paris owing not only to family influence but to his intimate acquaintance with the french language ah said brett monsieur henri dubois has a ready wit what cried edith who naturally enough was following each word with the utmost interest do you already know his name not only his name replied brett but his identity miss talbot you shall see him in another skin and without the sword-cut it is possible however that before we meet this distinguishing mark may be replaced by a fractured skull or a bullet wound fairholme suddenly clenched his right fist and examined his knuckles his unconscious action causing the others to laugh is he a frenchman then said talbot unquestionably a most modern product and his name is dubois yes all right in the future i will allude to him by his proper title well monsieur dubois strolled towards me with the easy confidence of a man who was sure of himself this affair bores me he said i see no reason why i who am in no way concerned with the sultan's collection of precious stones should sit up all night keeping guard over them with these very earnest gentlemen here i am going to my hotel i have sent my portmanteau to the carlton will you honour me by driving there and telling me something about your wonderful london as we go the man looked at me with a meaning in his eyes that conveyed quite plainly the intimation we can talk quietly in the cab and i can explain much that is at present hidden unfortunately i fell in with his suggestions we crossed the dining-room together we were searched by the police in the hall much to his apparent surprise and then we drove off through st george's place he at once aroused my curiosity by telling me sensational details of a widespread plot to dethrone the sultan an essential part of the conspiracy was to obtain possession of the diamonds before they had been cut as they were an heirloom from the prophet and it would be a terrible thing in the eyes of the more fanatical section of the mohammedans if they were tampered with in any way this sounded reasonable enough as the same story had been dinned in my ears for several weeks he made out that for reasons of state the sultan had decided to change the minister plenipotentiary charged with the secret mission to london 
altogether he talked so candidly and with such an air of treating the whole business as a bugbear of a timid monarch that i really believed him at last we reached the carlton we got out and paid the cabman who drove off round the corner then my new acquaintance explained to me that he placed no greater trust in his fellow-countrymen than did their ruler therefore he had led them to believe he was staying at that hotel whereas he had in reality taken up his abode in the flat of a french family with whom he was acquainted if i would come with him for a moment he promised to place me in possession of certain documents which would render easy my explanations to the foreign office the next morning i accompanied him without hesitation secure in the knowledge that a strong force of police guarded my charge at albert gate both inside and outside the house we went to the mansions where he said he lived the place had a perfectly respectable exterior and is situated as you know in a reputable thoroughfare we ascended to the second floor entered the flat and were ushered by a middle-aged frenchwoman into a sort of sitting-room dubois turned to a writing-desk and unlocked a drawer here are the documents i promised you mr talbot he said but to my amazement he whipped out a revolver and held it within two feet of my breast if you move or attempt to cry out you are a dead man at the same instant a door behind me opened and some three or four persons entered i was so furious at the trick that had been played upon me that i disregarded this threat and sprang at him but he did not fire flinging the revolver behind him on the writing-table he closed with me before i well knew what had happened i was tied hand and foot gagged and placed helpless in a chair a few minutes later after a muttered consultation between my captors i was taken to the room in which fairholme found me and i never left the place until nearly nine o'clock last night it was a most ghastly experience i would sooner die than go through it again if ever i get within measurable distance of monsieur henri dubois i promise you that i will repay him with interest some of the agony he inflicted on me i never thought i should hate a man as i hate that frenchman i do not want to kill him i want to torture him this was the first sign that talbot had given of the anger that filled his soul for a moment no one spoke edith stifled a sob and sir hubert fitzjames broke the tension by swearing as vehemently as ever did the army in flanders you have suffered said brett quietly but not in vain it is only by the manner in which these blackguards treated you that we have obtained so much knowledge your capture was a necessary part of their scheme i wonder now that after you had served their purpose they did not kill you it was not out of pity believe me the fact that you were spared confirms me in the opinion that the albert gate murders were a gigantic blunder never contemplated by the expert criminal who planned the theft but continue what happened afterwards End of chapter thirteen part one